John chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verse 30 through, don't get scared, 59. Easy? Easy. Okay. That's something like 29 verses. Okay. And we're going to pray before we get into it. Lord, I'm just so thankful for your design that the church would gather and just that pattern of the early church to gather on the Lord's Day, celebrate the resurrection and the, the truth of the gospel that springs from that. Um, and Lord, you're just so worthy of uh, just these few hours that we come together to ponder you and celebrate you and remember and, and grow in grace, grow in you. And uh, I even pray right now for the, the kids downstairs as I saw so many kids. The first time I've ever been downstairs during a service, and there are a lot of kids down there. And Lord, we just pray right now that you would just move in power in the children's ministry and just tune hearts to know you, Lord. Call kids to salvation and do the same for us today as we study Jesus. Show us Jesus, Lord. We want to see Jesus. If we've missed Jesus when we're going through the Gospel of John, then I've done an epic epically poor job today. And so we want to see Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's gone there for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's a celebration in Jerusalem that happened every year where they remembered God's faithfulness to bring the children of Israel through the wilderness. And uh, in chapter 6, Jesus makes a profound statement, while still in Galilee, that he's the bread of life. If anyone would eat him, they'll never hunger again. Uh, Then Jesus makes a statement in chapter 7, during one of the booth ceremonies, that he's the living water. And then if anyone would believe in him, out of that person's heart would flow torrents of living water. Uh, And that he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit coming out of the life of the believer in power. Uh, Then this last week we saw, while still at the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus made a statement that he's the light of the world. And then if anyone would believe in him, they would not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so just some of these I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. And while not saying I am the water here, the living water, he does speak of that uh, living water comes to those who believe in him. And then the second I am statement is light. And so just great encouragement for those who uh, are hungry uh, for something more, for those that are dry and in a weary land running out of water, for those that are in darkness and you feel like there's a giant shadow cast over your life, that in Jesus is hope and light and life and satisfaction that nothing else in this world could ever bring on its best day. And so in response to Jesus speaking of that he's the light of the world, there's these terms from last week's sermon that if we would believe in him, we would not die in our sins. And three different times in our section from last week, early on in chapter 8, Jesus speaks of if you don't believe in him and if you don't repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, you'll die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. And the amazing thing is that during Jesus' sermon there, 
Uh, Our text today in verse 30 tells us that as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Many believed in him. Many received uh, and accepted that saying that he is the light of the world. And they don't want to die in their sins. And there's some, in my study, there's some contextual considerations to, to ponder as we move on. Because verse 30 technically goes with the previous verses. And then there's, there's a sort of a, maybe a shift in conversation. And some believe that this next conversation is with those who just believed. Now what's crazy is that he's gonna, Jesus is going to be arguing with these people. He's going to be telling them that you know they never knew God and that they don't know him now and that their father's the devil and that they want to kill him. And, and so there are some who believe that this argument is going to go with, on, uh, with these new believers. Okay, uh, They may be called pseudo-believers. They may be called uh, easy-believers believers, or those that have uh, partaken of easy-believism. Uh, they may be those that are not true believers, or are not genuinely believing at this point. Now, there are those that that's the case. Back in John chapter 6, people that seem to be following Jesus and believing Jesus immediately turn away from him because he talks about how, you know, I'm the bread of life. You've got to eat my flesh in order, you know, and so there's this big like, oh, cannibal, what a weirdo, you know, and then they all leave him. Um, <clears throat> you got to listen to that study uh, from weeks ago to, to maybe get it, but um, but I don't know, you guys, honestly, I'm, I'm not there and you may, you, you got your Bible in front of you. I don't think that that's who Jesus is going to be speaking to. And you, and it's okay if you do. And it's like, oh, I get where some of these other pastors, like good pastors, respected pastors think that the, these are these new pseudo phony believers that he's going to be talking to here. Um, or they have a shallow belief or their seed was cast on stony ground now. And so that Birds of the air are going to come and pluck that seed up and care. Maybe that's what's happening. Funny thing is I'm actually teaching in Acts chapter 8 in Polina this afternoon. And I'm going to be talking about uh, the new believers from the revival in Samaria that Philip led to Jesus. And half the pastors that I'm reading are like, these guys aren't real believers. They haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. And, and I'm like, they haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet, though they've been saved by it. So there's some interesting stuff that a lot of guys that are just trying to, we're just doing our best, like doing our due diligent work. And my thought is that these, these are Jewish legalistic Judaizer Pharisees that have not been born again yet that Jesus is speaking to here. Woo! You guys feeling it? You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Me neither. Okay. Let's go to verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So we've got this believing statement here. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Okay, so Jesus is going to lay down exactly what it is that separates a spurious faith from true faith. Okay, Uh, fickle discipleship from genuine discipleship. And so there's a main idea here that a genuine disciple holds to the word. I like what Matt Carter says. 
that to abide in the Bible means to hold on to the teachings of Christ and never let go. It means the Bible so fills us up that we can barely contain it. It means we're willing to let the Bible dominate us. It means even when we don't like something in the Bible, we still obey, asking God to change our hearts so the truth of the Bible will find a warm and friendly reception in us. And so these new believers that Jesus is talking to, uh, those Jews who believe, but then maybe moving and morphing into more the Judaizers uh, who are legalistic and, and did not come into a saving faith of the Lord uh, one way or the other. Uh, man, the encouragement from Jesus is if you're going to believe, then you're going to get into my word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, this leatherback book in your hand. You're going to get into it and you're just going to be like, Lord, Whatever you have for me, I want it. I don't want you to bow down to me and let me be the Lord of the Bible. I want to bow down to the Lord of the Bible and have you press these truths inside of me. Change me. And while we might come to the Bible and not understand it or wrestle or we find things in us that are dark and dirty, we say, Lord, you've got to change me. I don't want this. I repent of this. I confess this before you. And I want my heart to be a great home for your word to come and abide in. Jesus tells us in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. Did you know that if you are a lover of Jesus, you're someone that's going to read the word and you're going to say, amen, amen. Work that in me, Lord. I see that that's not in me. I confess. I, wanna, I want to go your way. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. In John 14, 23, it says, Jesus answers and says to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home in him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Okay, so Jesus is just telling these Jews just, Right up, straight up, what they need to hear. It seems that there's a a big group that's coming to follow him, and he wants them to know, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to be ready to count the cost to follow. All right? And it's true in this church as well, okay? Um, Praise the Lord, you guys. There are many new people coming. Every week there's more people coming, more people coming. But spoiler alert, we're not just about being a big church, okay? We're about being a church that we follow Jesus. We read the word, we study the word, we follow the word, we love Jesus, and we obey Jesus. And he does that work in us where we want to obey because of his grace in our lives. And so as you come to Calvary and you're like, is this the place for me? Just know we don't want you to be comfortable here, okay? All right, we're not just about satisfying your every little comfort thing that you want in your life. Although, you know, we'll try in some ways. However, uh, ultimately, we want you to follow Jesus. And you got to know that in following Jesus, man, there's a cost. There's, There's realizing before you go into battle, like, hey, I might lose this many men, and you'd be a fool not to think about the cost before you go into battle. If you're going to build a house, you want to do a budget and be like, hey, if I'm going to build this house, I'm going to need this amount of money and this amount of materials or else you're going to look like a dweeb when you start building and you can't put a roof on your house, right? Same thing as when you're like, hey, I think I might want to go to church today and like learn about Jesus. Awesome. We're glad you're here. We want to give you Jesus. You got to know that Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to have to lay everything down to follow me. I laid everything down for you and now I'm calling you to do the same in return. 
in response to my love, love me back. In response to my grace, let me move in your life so you're going to want to do this with me. And you're already thinking, I can't. That's okay. That's when you just say, Lord, all right, help me. Help me. And he will help you. He will begin that work in you. Uh, Jesus is standing true to a pattern we find elsewhere in the New Testament. He is never interested in multiplying numbers of converts if they're not genuine believers. And therefore, he insists on forcing would-be disciples to count the cost. As F.F. Bruce says, discipleship is something continuous. It's a way of life. And so we will, as 31 says, abide in the word. Okay, And as we abide in the word, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Great verse, right? Pretty easy to memorize. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I hate this verse. You want to know why? (laughs) Because when Lindsay and I were first dating and engaged, she quoted this verse. Well, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I said, that's not a verse in the Bible. (laughs) Yes, I was a pastor on staff at a church. Okay. Yes, it says it twice here in the next few verses. Okay. I said, that verse isn't in the Bible. That's just a catchphrase from touched by an angel. That's what I said. (laughs) Something that Roma Downing says in her Irish accent in the red Cadillac. This is dating me. This is 22 years ago, probably. All right. But you got to be honest. I mean, it is a catchphrase. Uh, Every person who's thrown in jail and claims they're innocent tells their jail cellmate, Oh, they'll all know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Or every politician lamenting corrupt government uh, and promising drastic changes quotes this verse. Every anti-establishment hippie paints it in neon colors on the side of his VW van. So it's easy to think that maybe this is just a catchphrase. Not a catchphrase. I repent. I've repented with fasting and weeping and sackcloth and ashes to my wife who still won't let it go, and I am praising God that she is in children's ministry today, and none of us are going to talk about it after the service. Okay. You shall know the truth. When will you know the truth? When you're abiding in the word of God. When you're dwelling in the word. When you carry your Bible around with you. Carry it around with you. Take it to school. Set it on your desk, set it in the book thing under your seat at your school, bust it out and read it during break time, pack it in the halls, have it at lunch, keep it in your work truck, set it on the dash, watch out for the sun, the leather will begin to warp and wrinkle, so you're going to want to, you know, but you guys pack it around with you and read it and devour it, all right, let it be like that bread, okay, and as you do, it will inform you of the truth of who God is was speaking to a guy this week, just going through horrible marriage stuff. And I just, at the end of the call, I just said, man, my encouragement to you is get in the word. Sow to the spirit. And if you can get your wife to sow to the spirit with you, read the word with her. And you know what? Just let the word wash over you guys. And it will begin to transform your mind. And it will renew your mind. And pray over it. Just let the word have its work. Because 
As you do, you will know the truth. Oh, this is hard to say. Lord, I want your word to have a warm place in me. And the truth will set you free. It's so humbling. John 1.17 says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus. Another great memory verse, John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is a God of truth. Not relativism, but there is an absolute way. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must, we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 tells us. There's one name. One name for salvation. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter if you're in Nepal or India or Vietnam or Laos or Cambodia or if you're in South Africa or the Congo or like it's Jesus. Okay, well, what about those that have never heard? Strap your hiking boots on people because we've got to go and let the name of Jesus be known. Okay, we've got to go tell people the saving ways of Jesus so that they might know the truth. And they might rejoice in the truth. They might know his saving ways. And they will enjoy him through his saving ways. And then they will go out and they will tell the surrounding villages about Jesus. Okay, it's the pattern of evangelism and the pattern of discipleship. And so, you'll notice the second part of that verse is that the truth will make you free. That implies that without the truth and the truth of the word of God, we're not walking in freedom, but the opposite, slavery and bondage. And those that Jesus is speaking to here will not recognize their own slavery to sin or even their own fickleness that so often in the book of John oscillates between hero worship and then the next minute massive discontentedness. And he tells them, we need to know the truth. You need to know the truth. Not by mere intellectual assessment, but by a moral commitment that flows from a heart changed by Jesus. And they are not going to like this phrase. You know, man, if they're untouched by an angel and they hear Roma Downey say this, they're going to key her red Cadillac, okay? Anybody here touched by an angel? Watch it, CBS, Friday nights, back in the day. Followed by Promised Land, the family that cruised around in the Airstream and like six people, get a cable subscription. Okay. <laughs> They're going to hear this phrase, you shall know the truth and the truth shall, we're Jews here. <laughs> Star David. Okay. And so they're going to answer him in verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Okay, so um, if you read that phrase, you automatically ought to say you've never been in slavery to anyone. A quick reading of the Old Testament on the Bible reading plan will tell you you've been enslaved to Egypt, right? You've been enslaved to Assyria and Babylon You've been a slave to the Greek Persian or to the uh, Medo Persian Empire. You've been enslaved to the Greeks. You've been enslaved to the Romans, to Caesar. Uh, what do you mean you've never been enslaved by anyone? And so uh, there may be more probability that the Jews are talking about because they're children of Abraham. They've always had this inward freedom 
and privilege, but Jesus is going to call him to an even deeper, inward, non-temporal freedom than they ever could have had by just being DNA descendants from Abraham. Uh, Rabbi Akaba is credited with saying that all Israelites are king's sons, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they really were proud of that heritage. They were proud of that ancestry. We've never been slaves. We're king's sons, you know. It's like, okay, just go back to the history book a little bit and realize the issues that you have had, okay? Uh, Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So Jesus takes it to a deeper heart level. And he says, well, you've been a slave to sin. As F.F. Bruce says, sin is a slave master. And it's possible even for people who think of themselves as free to be enslaved to sin. Uh, I remember hearing a story of um, towards the end of the Civil War and when the Emancipation Proclamation was declared that a man was riding through uh, his his country. He'd been liberated. He was a free man now. And uh, as he's riding, he has a, a small carriage that he was able to acquire. And as he's riding along, he sees a man still living in slavery and laboring in the field, uh, chopping wood. And he stops and he says to the guy, hey, haven't you heard about the Emancipation Proclamation and that you're free? You don't need to be doing that anymore. And the man just kept chopping wood. Ain't never heard about no Emancipation Proclamation. Well, it's Abraham Lincoln and all this and a war has been fought and there's a declaration. It's come on, get in my buggy. We'll go to freedom. I've never heard of no Emancipation Proclamation. And so many people are living in this day and age. And they've never heard of the Emancipation Proclamation of the Gospel. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. What a wonderful declaration to us today. But there are many who do walk in freedom. And the good old U.S. of A, right? The red, white, and blue. Hear the eagle soar above Calvary Chapel of Prineville today? You know that there's always an eagle above your head in the good old U.S. You know, there's... This is the America, right? We're free. And yet so many people that walk in freedom are in deep and dark bondage to sin. A greater bondage than they ever would have had at the hand of the taskmaster of slavery. And as much as we might rally for racial justice and against prejudice in our nation, we ought to quadruple that uh, with the announcement of the gospel freedom that comes through Jesus Christ Because when people know of gospel freedom, what trickles out of that or flows out of that is freedom to every man, woman, child, no matter of their race or gender. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to these guys that there's a greater issue than even your pedigree or where you come from. You're a slave to sin. Not only does the practice of sin As the Greek literally says, the one who does sin, those who do sin prove that they're a slave to sin, but the practice of sinning actively enslaves you more and more and more. Another shackle, another chain link, another ball, another collar, 
Every time we sin, it's more and more enslavement. Carson says the despotic master is not Caesar, but shameful self-centeredness, an evil and enslaving devotion to created things at the expense of worship of the Creator. And in Jesus' view, even Caesar himself was a slave. Every man is a slave to sin until the Son sets him free. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, I struggled with this because it's a good 11 verses here, 12 verses, and I think that it's just so clear, Paul's commentary on what Jesus would be speaking here, that it's worth reading as a congregation. And I've got it on the screen for you, but if you want to flip there in your Bible, that's great practice. Romans six twelve. it says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lust. So the idea there is that you're letting sin reign over you. Go ahead. Be my master. Be my taskmaster so that I can obey you. Verse 13 says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so you can let sin have its way in you, and you can be a slave to it, and you can present your eyes and ears and mouth and nose, head and shoulder, knees and toes, as instruments to that master. Go ahead, have your way in me. My body is yours so that I can just sin. I am at your beck and call, O slave master. But Jesus, uh, Paul says through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit says through Paul, hey, instead present your appendages and your members and your instruments as righteousness to the Lord every day. Every day, first thing, hit the deck. Lord, my eyes, the things that I see, my ears, the things I hear, my mouth, the things that I'm going to say, everywhere I go, everything I touch, everything I do, they are instruments of worship to you now. I'm not under that slave master, but I've been liberated. I've left the auction block of sin, and I'm presenting myself to you, the king of freedom, to worship you with my members. 14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we now just go on and sin because we're not under a law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So the idea is that one way or another, you're a slave. Now you can either be a slave to the cruel taskmaster of sin that leads to death and bondage and corruption and destroys everything around you, Or just like those of us that love our nation, we love our freedom. And so now we tell our nation, we're at your service. I'm happy to serve. I'm happy to enlist. I'm happy to be a citizen. I now serve out of a different motivation though. It's out of joy and it's out of freedom that now I do your will. Verse 17. Did I skip one? No, 17. But God be thanked that 
though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, needing no more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like Paul is speaking out from Jesus' sermon in Acts chapter 8. He's speaking out that if we abide in his word, then we will know the truth. And the truth will set us free from the bondage of sin. Verse 35 of our text in John chapter 8 says, and a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. And so Jesus goes into perhaps a parenthetical parable here, kind of just a little bit describing what he's talking about. A slave can be sold at any moment and have no stability But a son has stability in such a way that he's actually able to go and make the slaves free. And the son has such stability that he can not only make the slaves free, but actually make the slaves members of his own household and give them his inheritance and share in his inheritance with them. And that is what is happening in the picture Jesus is painting here in this parable as it goes into verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So it's a repetition of the earlier statement concerning freedom. Now, the Son is a reference to Jesus. The word that's used there is only used to speak of Jesus as the Son. And when we're spoken of us as Christians being adopted as children of God, we're called children of God uh, in these in these texts that we're studying. And so it's talking about, we're not the son in this. We're like a hero. Yes, I'm not a slave. I'm the son. And I will go and I will... No, sorry, but the hero in this passage is Jesus. The son is Jesus. And he goes and he makes the slave a free man and a free woman. So if you're in bondage here today, there is good news like you've never heard before. This is the best news and it's on sunday 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 okay here it is loud and clear you shall know the truth as you're in the scriptures and the truth will set you free it will make you free and then in the parable of the son and the slave the son sets people free he who the son sets free is free indeed The law of the spirit of life, Romans chapter 8 tells us. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. 2 
Corinthians 3.17 says that the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When I was in high school, I went to Lakeview High School, and I was in the Safeway in Lakeview, and the pastor of the Foursquare Church was in front of me in the checkout line. And uh, as the gal was checking him out, uh, he noticed that her name tag said Liberty. And I just, at the time, I was really embarrassed um, because it was just a little bit of an awkward exchange. But as I pondered the event later on in life, and to this day, uh, he said, oh, your name is Liberty. Did you know that the Bible says that uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty? And she's like, oh, and I was like, oh, and he was like, oh, you know. I don't really have anything to say about that. It's just, you know, when you're at the grocery store, show a little tact, okay, people? No, I'm kidding. Clearly, that impacted me, and I pray it impacted Liberty as well. Uh, So I was at Red Robin, and there was a guy serving me. His name was Justice, and I said, Justice, did you? No, I couldn't do it. Uh, I did comment about his name and, and, uh, and such about Justice and the Lord, but uh, you know, Second Corinthians three seventeen says, "Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom." Do you know that the Holy Spirit is in this place today? The Holy Spirit is near you. He is convicting your heart right now of sin and righteousness and judgment, and you know things aren't right with the Lord. And I encourage you, as you hear the shackles that are around your wrists and your neck and your feet, the shackles of sin are clinking together and making that metallic noise, reminding of you of your bondage. You need to know that that is not of the Lord. The Lord is in this place today, and he is preaching a message to you, a message of freedom, a message of liberty, no longer a bond in bondage to uh, lust and to pornography, no longer in bondage to adultery, no longer in bondage to alcohol and substance abuse, no longer in bondage to pride, which is just as destructive, no longer in bondage to uh, just immorality and licentiousness and laziness. The Spirit brings control into your life, self-control. He wants to move in your life towards loving others, having peace and joy and faithfulness, and being established in him. Where the Holy Spirit is, my friends, there is liberty. There is freedom. And he who Jesus sets free from sin is truly free. Free indeed. Now, something about this freedom, before you get too excited, is that Galatians 5.13 says, you have been called to liberty. Woohoo! Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. That, that means, uh, yay, I'm totally free. Now, I'm, you know, isn't there a song like, I'm free to do what I want? It's like a used car commercial or something that's on TV. You know, hey, Shiloh, you don't have to go. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. He's done. He's done. You can leave your hat and your sweatshirt on the table. Because we're running low on those. Okay. Uh, Our freedom is not to just do what I want. That's selfishness. And that leads to death. Okay? Our freedom is, Galatians 5.13, 
through love to serve one another. We have freedom to love. Now I'm free to lay my life down again. I'm free to serve now. Carson says true freedom is not liberty to do what we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. Now I like to do this. God's given me a heart that beats to the rhythm of his heart, and now I actually like to pursue holiness. Now I like to lay my life down for my friends and for my brothers and for my sisters. I like to esteem them as better than myself, just as Jesus, who had every right to be worshipped and served, didn't require that, but he laid his life down and served and gave his life as a ransom for many. The good news, we can be free from sin through Jesus Christ. Charles Wesley described this freedom beautifully in his great hymn, called And Can It Be, where he wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. For Christ, your Savior, has ransomed thee. Those who are mature understand that genuine freedom, the ability to say no to anything that's going to hinder their enjoyment of Christ. John Bunyan, we're wrapping up here. We're not going to get to verse 59. I'm sorry. Where are we anyways? I don't know that we made it to 37 yet, Western. I think you're on your own on that one. Okay, we'll do 59. No, I'm kidding. We are wrapping up. John Bunyan, man, the poor guy has foot issues. Um, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, CJ, you don't have to go, buddy. Okay, I'm kidding. He's taking care of Junior. John Bunyan was a wonderful Puritan pastor, incredible testimony, wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison for the testimony of Jesus Christ. A man who Charles Spurgeon said, bled the Bible. He described the Bible this way. I tell thee, friend, there are some promises that the Lord hath helped me to lay hold of Jesus Christ through, that I would not have these promises taken out of the Bible for as much gold and silver as can lie between York and London piled up to the stars. And as Jesus says, as you abide in my word... You will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. As we at Calvary Prineville value the scripture and want to eat this book and be in this book, may we be those like John Bunyan that, man, when we nick our finger, scripture comes out. We bleed the Bible because we are loving Jesus in that. We love Jesus being in his word. We're abiding in relationship with Jesus. And the more we're in it, the more we know the truth and the more we are set free we're going to see next week that religious privilege does not guarantee a right attitude towards the things of god but we're going to end there uh, today so we'll have the worship and come on up it is a to be continued yes just like that episode of touched by an angel when 
when they had that crossover episode between Promised Land and Touched by an Angel, and Roma Downey keeps the airstream from sliding off the road, it was an incredible thing. You guys are going to go Google, watch a little Touched by an Angel today on the Lord's Day. Lots of real biblical stuff in that show. <laughs> 